You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey, good to be with you guys today. I am honored to be coming to you and, and being a part of Victory Church and, and uh, just share a little bit about the amazing move of God that's happening right now in the Middle East. Uh, it's, it's pretty wild, actually. A lot of it is relatively unknown to a lot of believers within the West. So I, I'm praying that today is going to stir your heart even provoke you to jealousy a little bit, and, and maybe for some of you, waking you up to take your place in this glory storyline that God is writing right now, especially as we approach the return of the Lord. I'll introduce myself a little bit more in a second, but I wanna just open up in prayer before we jump in. So Father, I thank you today for the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the wisdom and the leadership of God in this hour. Well, Lord, you said through Paul that you would use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak things of this world to confound the strong. And Lord, in the same way that you are raising up a glorious church all over the Middle East, Father, I ask that you would use the story of the Middle East to provoke the church in the West to jealousy. Father, would you release even today spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Father, would you release a spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. Father, that, that we wouldn't just get blown away by testimonies or, or stories, but that we would fall in love with that glorious, beautiful man that sits at your right hand, whose eyes are like fire, whose hair is like wool. Father, would you glorify your son today? Father, I pray Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. Father, not to any man or any ministry, or even to the church of the Middle East. But Father, to your son, give glory. Would you exalt the worth of your son? Would you exalt the glory of your son, the beauty of your son? In an amazing way, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Jose, and I live outside of Philadelphia with my wife and my two kids. And I'll tell you a little bit about my story as it connects to the underground church in the Middle East. People always ask me, how did you get connected to the underground church? And, and my joke is, you don't find it, it finds you. It's kind of like the mafia. The last few years of my life, my wife and I oversaw a, a global worship and prayer ministry. We had launched a couple of schools. We'd been all over the world, been to 40 different countries. And uh, we, we oversaw 30 hubs in America and 20 around the world and, you know, did all the stuff. And traveled, preached at conferences, led mission trips for many years, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my wife's actually a recording artist, put out a couple albums, whatever. And so in the middle of COVID, uh, I was probably June of 2020, we were pregnant with our first baby and I was sitting before the Lord because everything slowed up, wasn't traveling for the first time in years. And I was sitting before the Lord one morning outside of my apartment at the time in Philadelphia and the Lord said, 
spoke so clearly to me, and it was, it was a pivotal moment, my walk with the Lord. And the Lord said, Jose, you've gotten to a point in your life where you only do ministry when you're on a platform with a microphone in your hand and someone's giving you an honorarium. And the Lord said, I'm grieved with you because that's not what I died for. You've become a professional minister and you, you love the platform and you love these things, but I want you to shut it all down. I want you to shut your ministry down. I want you to shut down all the things that you're doing. I'm gonna teach you how to make disciples. Anyways, to make a long story short, I was kind of you know sitting there like, oh, okay. And so shortly after that, a uh, friend of mine who does prayer stuff with a lot of the big tech companies, uh, I wanted to know a little bit more about worship and prayer, which is mostly what I teach on, and I got on this Zoom call. And after teaching, she told me about a leader uh, out of Iran that she wanted me to connect with. Now, I just read an article. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of, this, heard of this fact or you haven't, but the article is 2020 said that Iran was officially the fastest growing church in the world. And I'm going to highlight this a few times today throughout the message, but I want to point something out to you, that in the same time that the American church has been in, it's probably its greatest decline since the birth of America, the church in the Middle East is exploding in, in, in amazing ways. So I just read this article, and then she tells me she wants to introduce me to this leader, and I say, well, that's pretty wild, because I just read an article about the underground church in Iran, and she goes, now, this is one of the main leaders of the underground church in the Middle East. We get on this Zoom call, and I love telling this story because it was one of those, I don't know if you've had meetings like this in your life, Well, the Lord will have you sit with someone and meet with them, and that meeting becomes a plumb line moment in your life. It becomes a, a, a transitional moment for your walk with the Lord. Because the last few years of my life, you know, I've done Western ministry, you pick what airline you want, stay at the best hotels, you get checks and you do all this stuff and try to build your social media presence and blah, 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 blah. And it's an interesting thing because I got to a point that I was so busy doing my ministry, I wasn't leading people to the Lord anymore. I'd lost that fire of burning for lost people or and I was so busy doing my ministry job that I really started losing some of even my zeal for the Lord and Things like the Great Commission. Anyways, we get on this Zoom call with this leader, and he begins to tell me about what the Lord was doing in the Middle East, and it absolutely provoked my heart to jealousy. And there was a few things that he said. The first one was that they kind of have this mantra in, in, in their ministries in the Middle East, and that mantra is this, death before disobedience. I'd never forget hearing that for the first time, that there is a body of Christ on the earth that lives with the mindset that we would rather die, we would rather be executed than ever disobey the Lord. And I thought to myself, I didn't tell him this, but I said, man, I've been around a lot of big leaders, been around a lot of people in ministry, and if there's one thing I could say is that disobedience to Jesus sometimes is an option. And that's true for a lot of us in the West. We don't maybe sometimes think about uh, uh, the, the depth of this call to live these radical lives of obedience to Jesus. And we talked about disciple making, and, and I'll talk, we'll break some of this down as, uh, during our time together. We talked about disciple making and what it really meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And the difference between, you know, making converts and disciples and what was happening. But anyways, 
Over the last two years, I've been baptized into a world that is, in many ways, I feel like saved my life and, and, and refreshing my walk with the Lord. So the name of our organization, and in a little bit, I'll, I'll tell you about a video and all that, but it's called Global Catalytic Ministries. We're in all the vacation hotspots of the world, Iran, Afghanistan, Northern Cyprus, Turkey, uh, Pakistan, Indonesia, all those, and there's other countries I can't say, but um, all these places, planning churches, making disciples, and kind of our joke, if you will, is that the Holy Spirit is making a mess in these countries, and our leaders there are simply the cleanup crew. So I want to talk a little bit about what the Lord is doing in the Middle East, and I want to talk about why the Middle East. That's a question a lot of people have. So the underground church uh, movement in the Middle East is a rapidly reproducing house church network that owns no buildings, has no properties, no website, no marketing team, no media team. There's no celebrity Christians, no celebrity worship leaders. Uh, our joke is that Jesus is the rock star and we're just the groupies. And God is blowing up all over the Middle East. And in fact, in some of these countries, what people don't know is that Islam is actually dying. A lot of the people in these countries are tired of Islam. They're tired of the uh, uh, suppressive regimes that they live in. And they're hungry for something more. And a lot of them are hungry for God, but, they're hungry, but they don't know Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus. Some of them, they know a little bit about what the Quran says about them. And God is meeting these people in amazing, amazing, supernatural ways. I'll talk a little bit about uh, what that looks like and how the Lord is doing that. I'll share a little bit of stories. But like I said, one of the distinct factors of the underground church is that all of the churches that we're planting and that are being planted in the Middle East are all without buildings and they're autonomous. Uh, there's no church names, there's no denominations, there's no networks. Believe it or not, there are no denominations in most of these countries. That's probably why God is moving in those places. There's no denominations, there's not a lot of networks. Pastors, there's no theology debates. Uh, apologetics doesn't exist. And here's what's crazy. The idea of women not having leadership or preaching in the Middle East is crazy. In fact, uh, the, a, a good portion of the work in the Middle East was started by women leaders. So a lot of our church planners within the Middle East, within a lot of these countries, are actually being led by women. So it's pretty remarkable. And I think about some of the ridiculous debates that we're having in America uh, uh, about theology or can women preach or whatever. And our saying is this, if you have time to debate, it's because you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. That's our mindset. And that's our kind of way of living. So I'll give you a little bit of statistics. So right now, the two fastest growing churches in the world are Iran and Afghanistan. Iran is number one. Afghanistan is number two. And they're also two of the most persecuted countries in the world. Iran is, it flips back and forth between Iran and Pakistan as number nine or number eight. I think right now Iran is number nine, but probably after this week it'll jump back up to number eight. So it's the eighth or ninth most persecuted nation in the world. I want you to think about that. That this nation is in the top 10 most persecuted countries in the world is also the fastest growing church in the earth. That means that every year, uh, the church is growing by 20%, and that has been consistent over the last three to five years. And just to give you perspective, America is in the negative. 
That means every year, at one point, we're the most Christianized country in the world. We have sent so many missionaries out you know, all over the world, but right now, we are in a spiritual crisis, friends. We are in a God crisis in America. In the Middle East, churches are growing uh, almost on a daily basis. And I'll, again, I'll give you more statistics here in a minute, but God is moving. God is showing up in mighty signs and wonders. And in the West, there's a decline. And I think there's a few reasons why that might be happening. But like I said, Iran is the number one fastest growing church in the world right now. It is also the number one exporter of terrorism in the world. It is the home of Shiite Islam, and it's the number ninth most persecuted country in the world. Over the last five years or so, our organization has planted over 750 churches in Iran. Now, we're not the only ones there. There's other organizations. So this is a joint effort. We've seen, like I said, 750 churches planted in Iran, and we're believing God for up to 1,000 churches by the end of this year, brand new churches that are being planted. I'll explain a little bit what that looks like and what I mean by that. I said Afghanistan is the second fastest growing church in the world, and they are now, as of last year, the number one most persecuted country in the world. I want you guys to think about that right now. Because one of the things I think that we're having to deal with in the West is the idea that in order to be a Christian, in order to follow Jesus with a vibrant heart, in order to be effective for the gospel in our country, that you got to have your favorite president as president, and you have to have all your civil liberties and all your rights, and everything has to be comfortable. But what we are seeing, not just right now, but historically, is that the church always thrives the most when it's under the most persecution. In fact, the New Testament was written by a group of Christians that lived under a totalitarian government and intense persecution. In fact, the Roman government would often crucify Christians and light them on fire, and they were the light, if you will, at night for people to get around the roads and get around the towns. I know it's maybe difficult for some of us to think, and, and I'm not walking around saying we should pray for persecution, but I do want to propose a question to us. Are, is the, the, the things that we're fighting for in America, the things that, we're, that we want to hold on to so dearly, is it possible that those can be the very things that are choking the life out of the gospel? That those are the very things that are choking life out of believers? There's something, and again, I'm not insinuating, I don't have martyr, martyr syndrome, and I'm not insinuating that we pray for persecution, but I think that there are things that we can learn, as we, again, we go through some more of this stuff, that we can learn from the underground church in the Middle East. And some of those things are civil liberties are not a prerequisite for church growth. That civil liberties are not even a necessity for the gospel to be impactful. In fact, what we're seeing is the countries that are the most wealthy, the most comfortable, and have the most freedoms are the countries that are seeing the most spiritual death, the most closing of doors, that are seeing the most uh, uh, immorality, uh, the most uh, uh, church splits or whatever within communities. And again, I'm not... I want to say this again, because sometimes people take things I'm saying out of context. I'm not praying for persecution, but I'm also not praying against it, because I understand 
And this is one of our mantras in the Middle East is that persecution keeps you clean. There's something about living where there is a price for following Jesus that raises up wholehearted believers within these contexts. Again, Iran is having a 20% growth every year of believers. Afghanistan is right behind it at 18 to 19%. And we've seen over the last three to five years, five 100 churches planted in Afghanistan. Just think about that. And Afghanistan right now is under one of the most suppressive, persecuting governments in history. One of our leaders actually just reported that in the year since the Taliban has taken over, uh, we've seen 5,000 people come to the Lord and 50 new churches planted. Just think about that. Guys, there are churches in America that will never see 5,000 people come to the Lord. People, there are people sitting in churches right now. They've been believers for 10 years, 15 years, and they have never brought one person to Jesus. They've never discipled anyone. And completely oblivious that Jesus actually gave us a command. We call it a commission, but it's a command. It's called the Great Commission. That every single believer, if you are a born-again believer, you have a responsibility from God. You have a call from the Lord to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And the Great Commission isn't us getting someone to pray a prayer and inviting them to go to your church. Jesus didn't call us to go out and get people to pray prayers. Jesus didn't call us to go out and get people to join our church. Our call is to make disciples of nations. Like I said, many people, are not take, they don't take serious Jesus' commandments because we live in an environment where, where we can get away with lukewarm Christianity. We can get away with being hypocrites before the Lord. We can, because most of the church settings that we're in today in the West, we don't hold people accountable to obey the teachings of Jesus. One of our requirements or one of the, the, uh, the ways we determine whether or not someone is born again, so when they go to be baptized, you know, we ask them a few questions. The first question we ask is the basic statement of faith. The second question we ask is, are you willing to be martyred? If their answer is no, we don't baptize them. And then after they're baptized, we don't really consider them disciples of Jesus until they themselves are going out and making disciples. Let me ask you this question. What would you do if your church didn't allow you to come to service unless you were going out and telling people about Jesus and making disciples? Would you still want to follow the Lord? Would you still want to go to your church? Would, you, would it offend you? Or would it cause you to live your life with more purpose and more zeal for the Lord to be part of this great story that the Lord is writing? All right, let's give you a little bit more. I said... Uh, 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 in this last year, since the Taliban has taken over, we've seen 5,000 people come to the Lord in Afghanistan and 50 new churches being planted. Right now, we're helping people uh, escape and be rescued, uh, go to places of safety. And within that, we have it, it's actually amazing. As these people are being rescued, they're being put into disciple-making communities where they are meeting Jesus. They're encountering Jesus. They're getting baptized. They're, they're, and then these very same people, uh, as soon as they get baptized, and this is the way we do it, as soon as you're baptized, you are now a church planner. As soon as you're baptized, you are now a disciple maker. And so God is doing amazing, amazing things right now. I want to share a couple of 
testimonies with you of some of these stories. In Iran, uh, one of our workers was working with a guy who was a shop owner, he was a Muslim background man. And so we use a method of disciple making called DMM. And DMM is a disciple making movement. And, and so it's kind of different. Our, the, the short end of how to explain it is unbeliever leads unbeliever to Jesus. And so uh, the way we do things is totally different. And we don't introduce Jesus until Jesus introduces himself. So for a lot of these people, they have no idea that they're learning about Jesus or reading the Bible. So this man is going through the stories with us, and one day he's home. And while he's home, he lives in a very old house, he hears creaking on the floor, and he sees a man in a white robe walking in his house. And when he sees the man, the whole house is filled with smoke. He freaks out, he runs out of his house, and he finds our leader that was working with him. And he says, uh, I'm sitting in my house. And he tells him what happened. A man walks in and the leader says, are you ready to know the name of the God you've been reading about? And the guy says, yes. And he says, it's Isa. And the man gives his life to the Lord right now. These stories are, are happening all the time. Just recently, we were working with a girl in a particular country who is a radical Muslim. And um, while we were working with her, she, she was really serious about, she wanted to know, is, is Jesus truly the one? Is Jesus real? Is, is, is what these Christians saying about him is true? At this point, she realized we were talking about Jesus. So she goes home and she opens up a Quran because she wanted to find out if this stuff was true. And she gets to the passage that talks about Allah not having a son. She calls our leader and she says, don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know, uh, uh, don't work. I don't want to work with you anymore. I don't want to read the Bible. You guys are blasphemers. But a week later, she calls our leader back and says, hey, I have a question. What does Jesus look like? She says, why do you ask? She says, shut up and tell me. <laughs> uh, you got to love their brutal honesty. She says, no, tell me. She says, she describes this girl had had an encounter with the Lord. She says, I saw him. She goes, what do you mean you, I saw him? So I was walking down the street and the heavens opened and a man in white appeared in the sky. And he told me he was Esau. And I was so ashamed. I looked down and his shadow was standing next to me. And she gave her life to the Lord. Friends, we have hundreds of these stories. This is what God is doing right now all over the Middle East where Jesus, the great evangelist himself, is showing up to people's homes. He's showing up in marriages and visions and dreams. It's absolutely amazing. But here's the thing I want to say. The story of the underground church in the Middle East is really a story of beauty coming out of ashes. Because in the same way that people are getting saved and churches are being planted, uh, actually just recently, just today, and, and again, this might be a few days to you guys are watching this, we just found out that one of our leaders in a particular country was martyred yesterday. He was actually hung in his home. And this is the reality that a lot of these believers live in. And just recently in another country, two of our top leaders were sexually abused and molested by terrorist people. And we gave them the option to escape. We gave them the option to leave the country and go to safety. And here's what's amazing about our leaders there. They said, we're not leaving this place. And they chose within that, within that short period of time to forgive those that raped them, forgive those that sexually abused them, and they're committed to stay in the country that they're working in, to plant churches and to make disciples. Uh, 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 and this is a sobering, sobering thing. A lot of these people are always walking, understanding that martyrdom and death could be at the door. I want to look at a couple of verses real quick. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
Uh, it's a famous verse, but there's two verses that I think of when I think of the underground church in the Middle East. And the first one is this, where Paul says, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. One of the things that is so crucial to the identity of the underground church is that it's a Romans 12, 1 worship culture. That from day one, we teach them to live as though they've already been martyred, to live as though they've already died, to live as though their lives, I mean, it's what the gospel teaches, it doesn't belong to us. And this willingness to live already dead makes them an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. Let's look at another verse real quick. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And I love this. And again, I think if there's ever a chapter, if there's ever a verse that speaks to the identity, to the culture, to the mindset of believers in the Middle East, it's Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Now, Revelation 12 is talking about the body of Christ alive during the Great Tribulation. But these people are living under great tribulation and persecution already. Again, verse 11 of chapter 12. And they overcame him. They overcame Satan. And that overcome doesn't mean that nothing bad happened to them. It doesn't mean that despair didn't come. It doesn't mean, actually, in one of the other countries, one of our leaders, they just put a bomb in his house and they blew it up. Thankfully, he survived. You know what he did? He got up the next day and continued doing the work. There's this resilience in them because they have overcome Satan. They've overcome the, the, the lust, the fear, the, all that stuff. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, here's the main point. And they did not love their lives even to death. Even unto death. That they, they had such a disdain for this age. That they had such a disdain. Friends, I believe that one of the number one inhibiting factors for the church in the West, for the gospel to go forth, is that we love our lives too much. We absolutely love ourselves. We love our lives so much we're not willing to lay them down. Now, I'm going to put pause here for a minute. In fact, you can go on YouTube, and uh, there's a documentary specifically about the work in Iran called Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. And, and, and uh, you can, here in a second, we're going to play the trailer. But you can go on YouTube and put in Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, and it's a free movie about what God is doing all, all across Iran and specifically the Middle East as well. So first thing is, in Iran, we know what country we're serving. We're serving the Islamic Republic of Iran. We don't know if we're going to get our own tattoos. 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 We're going to get our own tattoos.
you know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as a woman is rape us, and then they'll beat us, and then ultimately they'll kill us. And this is the decision that we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. Because I have this thought when I wake up, when I leave that door, I might not come back. و من با همسرم حرف زدم و هر دوتا من این رو برای هم دیگه حل کردیم Now, I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk about why the Middle East. This is one of the number one questions we get is, why is God moving in the Middle East? Why is he moving so mightily in Muslim countries? And there's a few reasons for that. And I want to look at two. The first one is that God moving in the Middle East is part of God's end time strategy. All right? It's part of God's end time strategy. In fact, if you look at the Bible... I'm going to give you a little newsflash. America is not in the Bible. I know it's going to freak some of you out. It's probably blowing your mind, but we're not in the Bible. If I could summarize the scriptures, especially the eschatological scriptures, the Bible is the story of Israel and her surrounding neighbors. Guys, the epicenter of God's heartbeat for the earth is the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. In fact, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus connected his return to the earth to Jewish leaders in the city of Jerusalem, praying for him to return. And as we know right now, according to Romans 9, 10, and 11, God has partially hardened the heart of Israel, but God has a strategy to send a great revival to the nation of Israel. Now, the fullness of that revival won't happen until the Lord returns. But God wants to do something powerful, and God is going to provoke unbelieving Jewish people, unbelieving Israel to jealousy, and he's going to do it dun, 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 through Muslim background believers. Wouldn't it be like God to take Israel's greatest enemies and turn them into Israel's greatest evangelists? And if you saw the documentary, it talk, you saw the trailer, it talks about this, you'll see this in the film. Do you know that Israel's number one enemy right now is the nation of Iran? And every single person that comes to the Lord in Iran has this massive heart change towards the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. In fact, many of them, their dream is to be able to go to Israel and hug a Jewish person. But even beyond that, there are several prophecies and promises in the Bible. Uh, and again, it, it, when you read it in the scripture, it's using their ancient names, but all the countries that are listed, 
are modern day Muslim countries where God promises to send a mighty end time revival. Two of them, and I won't go there for the sake of time, but you could read them. It's Isaiah chapter 19, verse 18 through 25. Isaiah 19 in theological circles is known as the Isaiah 19 highway, where God promises to send a great revival at the end of the age before the return of the Lord. And this, this highway revival will start in Egypt and go all the way up to Assyria, which is today is modern day Iran and Afghanistan. These are the very countries, our organization, and many others are planting churches and seeing God move. Think about that. So over 3,000 years ago, more like 2,500 years ago, excuse me, God promised to send this great revival. There's going to come a day where the nation of Egypt is going to call on the name of the Lord, where Syria and Lebanon and a lot of these countries that you see on the news today are going to experience revival. The second one is Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 35 through 39. In Jeremiah chapter 49, God actually prophesies that he is going to dismantle the government of Iran, and he, and he calls it Elam. Elam is modern-day Iran, and he is going to put his throne within Elam. Here's what's significant about that. There are only two literal physical places where God talks about putting his throne in. Of course, the first is Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus is going to reign from in the millennial kingdom. The second is in the nation of Iran. There is a promise where the Lord is going to so move in Iran that a part of his earthly government, when Jesus returns, is going to be based out of Iran. So again, the first reason why I believe the Middle East is because it is part of God's end-time strategy, and it will be the epicenter of the great end time revival that we're all believing for. The second reason is because of the lifestyle of these Christians. I talked about meeting that leader from Iran and he said a phrase to me that rocked my life. He said, persecution keeps you clean. I believe that one of the number one reasons God is moving in the Middle East is because persecution completely obliterates lukewarm Christianity. You don't find lukewarm Christians. You don't find half-hearted Christians. You don't find church splits. You don't hear about affairs. You don't hear about pastors stealing monies because all these people are living in countries where you would get the death penalty for any of that. So living under intense persecution, living under the fire of the sword of Islam has created this radical, obedient, vibrant, victorious church. And again, victory over there looks a lot different than what victory looks like here for us. And I want to throw something in there. I remember meeting with the leaders and asking about, you know, government. Do you guys want to change your government? Do you, do, you know, what's your whole process on that? And they said, absolutely not. They said, we, we, don't, we don't get involved in politics. We pray for our leaders, whether it's terrorists or not. Our commission is to plant churches and to make disciples. And so persecution is a major factor, love-based obedience. And I believe no buildings, no brands, no logos, no celebrity Christianities. The only person that is famous within the church, the only person that gets any of the credit is the man, Jesus. Guys, I believe this is one of the central reasons God's moving in the Middle East and the church is dying in the West. I think in the West, we're too obsessed with men. I think we, 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 we're too brand-driven, logo-driven, name-driven, and we've, we will put even at times those things, our agenda, our whatever, above the Lord Jesus. But when I believe there's going to come a time before the Lord returns where America is going to experience a measure of persecution, 
America is going to experience a measure of shaking and pressure that will cause some of these things that we hold on to so dearly to crumble. And when that happens, we are going to see the most resilient, lovesick, vibrant, obedient church to Jesus we have ever seen in American history. So as I close, I want to ask you guys a couple questions. And the first question is this, is what excuses are you making for not following Jesus wholeheartedly? What excuses are you making? Are you too busy? You don't have time, uncomfortable. You know, we have a rule with our leaders, our church planners, is this, you're not allowed to use a self-checkout line. You can't pump your gas at the line, you have to go. We, in other words, you cannot experience a revival, you can't be a part of church planting movement, disciple making movement, if you're not willing to inconvenience yourself. Uh, what excuses are you making for not living in obedience? What excuses are you making for not making disciples? And what is it going to take for the Western church uh, uh, to rise up? And are we that Revelation 12, 11 bride? I'll end with this story and then I'll pray for us. Um, there was a family, a husband and a wife and a few of the kids were getting ready to move to a particular country in the Middle East. I can't say which one. But it was a country where it's a one-way ticket to go there. And um, as they were getting ready to go, uh, we, um, we had them write out an email uh, explaining to us that they understood the gravity of their decision to go to this particular country. And the gravity was that the chances of one of their kids being kidnapped, sold into the sex trade industry, never being seen again, was extremely high. And the chances of one, if not all of them, being martyred was extremely high, and that it was still worth going to. Can you imagine applying for a job at a church and that's the question that they ask you to respond saying that you understand those realities and that you're still willing to do it? So here's how they responded to us. They responded to us by saying that uh, uh, the family got together and they each got, the husband, the wife, and the kids, they each took photographs of themselves and they went to the local cemetery and they buried their pictures in the cemetery and had their funeral. And they said, God, we're dead. Do with us whatever you want. Friends, I believe that God is raising up the church in the East right now to provoke the church in the West to jealousy. I want to encourage you today, as you're hearing these stories, as you're hearing about what God is doing in the Middle East, to stand up, to be a, a, a mighty follower of Jesus in whatever context you have, to be a Revelation 12.1, a Romans 12.1 Christian, loving not your life even unto death, laying your life down is a living sacrifice. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the testimony of the underground church in the Middle East. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in these countries. We thank you, God, that I believe you want to move in similar ways in the West. So, Father, I ask you to provoke us to jealousy, to wake our hearts up, and that you would raise up a Revelation 12, 11, people in the West, a, a, a body of believers who overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies, and who love not their lives, even unto death. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. It's been a privilege to spend whatever time of the day you're watching this with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.